0: morning and welcome to our service this morning. I'll just move this stuff if you don't mind. I don't want to trip over anything this morning. <laughs> yeah, great to see everyone this morning. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, for those online, thank you for joining us online. And um, yeah, uh, I've got some message notes. If you like to take notes, put your hands up. The ushers will bring them and you can take some notes um and got all the scriptures now last week we started a new series how many do you remember what it was coming against your three spiritual enemies yeah three spiritual enemies how many know we got three spiritual enemies what's the first one the world then we got the flesh and then we have the devil And you know what? These three enemies are literally trying to come uh, against you. They want to destroy your life. They want to destroy everything that you're trying to build. And ultimately, they want to take away your soul. So last week, we covered uh, uh, the—how many know we are our worst enemy, right? (laughs) The flesh is the worst enemy. Um, We covered that last week. This week, we want to go to the next enemy, which is the world. And the title of my message this morning is Victory Over the World. I mean, you know, God has given us victory over everything, including the world as well. Amen. So let us pray before we begin. Father, we just want to thank you again for your wonderful grace and mercy. And we saw in awe every time we think of what you did for us on that cross. Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we want to pray right now as we uh, come into the word, Father, time of word. We want to pray, Father God, that you remove all distractions. Help us to hear what you have to say. All we need is just one word this morning from you. I can break and change us. So we pray, Father God, that you use me as your instrument this morning. More of you, less of me. This morning, in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Now, I wonder how many this morning has ever looked at their life and felt sorry for themselves. I think. I think. To be honest, uh, we all get sometimes, you know, to that place where, especially as a Christian, you know, you get to that place where you're looking around. You're seeing all these non-Christians, right, that don't even serve God, don't even believe in God, and they're just prospering. You know, it could be in your workplace, they're getting promotion after promotion, pay increase after pay increase, and then you get to that place and you wonder, God, but why? (laughs) I mean, I'm here serving you, I'm doing everything I can I'm being faithful, I pay tithes, I do everything else, but what's going on here? Has anyone been there? I think, I think, be honest, if you honest, every one of us gets to that place sometimes. We question, God, why? Why do we need to struggle when we're serving you, but everyone else seems to have a really comfortable life? Well, if you ever question that, uh, I want to tell you you're not the only one. Um, uh, there's there's actually uh, a scripture that covers that. Um, now Asaph, who was appointed by David as one of the leaders of one of the leaders of uh, the the three Levitical choirs, he actually expressed this um, this this frustration with God in Psalm 73, and I want to uh, read from the New Living Translation this morning. And it reads this: Truly, God is good to Israel to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and as I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such a painless life. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride-like jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their their words are shrouded throughout the earth. Verse 10. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. And this is what they say. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And then he asked this question. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. And then verse 17. I love this. Then I went into your sanctuary. Oh God, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. So why, why does life seems so unfair sometimes i want to tell you this morning the reason why it seems unfair is because we're only seeing part of the picture you're only seeing part of the picture life always seems unfair when we measure it by earthly standards Life always seems unfair when you, uh, you know, compare it to, you know, with, you know, with health, with wealth, and, and power. But when you encounter God, I want to tell you, when you encounter God in a, in a personal, in an intimate way, as a psalmist did when he went into the sanctuary, we gain a heavenly perspective. We get a heavenly perspective perspective you will begin to see um, the other part of the picture you see the rewards of this life are temporary and sometimes we forget that the rewards of this world are temporary and the matter of fact is you know it can even hinder us from really discovering what is really important how do you know we come to this Earth, we, when we were born, we come with nothing. And when you die, you leave with nothing. Everything you work, all the, everything you achieve in this life, you leave behind. So sometimes we compare things and we think, oh, it's not fair. But I want to tell you, you're only seeing it, 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 it just part of the picture. But I want to tell you something. You know, when, um, you, you, do, you know, do you know what worship really teaches us? Worship allows us to meet with God. You know, our perspective changes when we worship God. When we really truly worship God, our perspective changes. And that's why the enemy would do whatever he can to stop you from worshiping God. Whatever he can to stop you from worshiping God. And, And I think that's why sometimes, you know, it's so, so hard You know, when you come to service, um, you know, you come in and you're trying to worship and, you know, someone suddenly passes you by and you're like, oh, I'm trying to worship here. Or, you know, you get distracted by someone else next to you singing the wrong chords or singing the wrong words. And and you're like, oh, this is bothering me. And then then, uh, you start complaining, this is too loud. This is too slow. This is, you see, the enemy wants to stop you from really worshiping God. Because when you really, truly worship God, you get a different perspective of life. I want to promise you, if you really, truly worship God, when you you come and worship God with everything, your perspective changes. And this is exactly what happened when the psalmist came into God's presence. When he came into the sanctuary of God, suddenly all those things that was bothering him didn't bother him anymore. He realized, hold up, you know, all those things are just temporary things. He recognized how shallow, how empty the worldly power is. How shallow and how empty world wealth is. He quickly realized that God is the only source of life and joy. And that's why there's always serious battle when it comes to worship. Satan will try to do everything he can to stop you from worshiping God. Let me go back to the scripture again. So uh, from verse 17 again, I will just read from verse 17. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Verse 18. Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destructions. In an instant... They are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you rise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at the dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Verse 23. Yet, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. We thank God. He's so patient with us. Amen. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on the earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God's remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you see, it's beautiful. As I shared last week, honestly, when we become born again, when we become child of God, we get something much, much more powerful than our self, um, you know, self, um, self-power, We're more than our willpower. We get the Holy Spirit who's our helper. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our what? Through faith. That's right, through faith. You see, in the same way God equips us um, to live a victory over enemy number one, the flesh, he also equips us to live over the enemy number two, the world. But we need to be really, really careful. Because some, ba- uh, you know, some of the baits that the, the world uses is really attractive. So if you're taking notes, point number one, the world is attractive. How many know the world is attractive? The world is attractive. And um, th- that's the bait of the enemy, basically. Um, When you think about um, Adam and Eve, God created everything and said, you know what? You can eat of anything you want except this one tree, right? And then Satan comes and tempts her and next thing you know, what does she do? That one fruit that she was not allowed to eat became attractive. Let me actually read it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruits looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she gave some uh, some of it to her husband who was with her. And he ate of it too. And at that moment, their eyes opened And they suddenly felt ashamed at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. You see, even when we think of the psalmist, when we think of the psalmist, you know, he saw the material things in Jericho. The place he was living, he was seeing all the wicked were prospering. They were doing so well. And they, 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 they seemed to be happy. And that frustrated him, right? That attraction was frustrating him. Like, God, why, 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 why not me? I mean, I'm serving you. I'm doing everything I can. And that brought, that's a, that's a wrong attraction. It brings bitterness. Another example, think about Lot. Abraham and Lot, they, 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 they did so well. The families were becoming too big, and they started arguing and complaining about, you know, the places where they would take their animals for, uh, you know, pasture. And, 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 and Abraham said, you know what, let's, let's come on top of this hill. Can you see the land before you? I want you to pick whatever land you want to, you know, and that's yours. And Lot came and looked around and was like, oh, that place looks amazing. Let me just read it. In Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 to 11, finally, Abraham said to Lot, Let's allow this conflict to come between us. Uh, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are all close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land to the right, then I go left. Verse 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. And then in the apprentice it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, Lord chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. And he went there with his flock and servant and prepared company, uh, uh, sorry, parted company with his uncle Abraham. You see, sometimes what we see with our eyes can deceive us. It might look good. It might look amazing. But I want to tell you, don't always be deceived because the world is attractive. The world is attractive. The enemy uses the beauty of things sometimes to distract you from what God wants you to go. You might see and you think, oh, that's amazing. But it's always a trap. You see, the world's attraction comes from a deceiving design. What you see in the world is not always what it appears. Um, sometimes I think of it as a spider web. I often think of, you know, uh, you know, world's attraction like a spider web. You know, have you, have you, uh, you know, when the spiders actually want to attract the 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 prey? They basically, apparently, they use electricity, and that's how they attract the prey, and they 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 they, they put them in a bait basically. And, and Satan uses the worldly, dis, uh, you know, attractions to really um, trap us into the spider web. And, and some of the stuff is, is, is good stuff, like money. Money is amazing, and we all need more of it, amen? <laughs> money is good, but the love of money is not good. The love of money is not good. So what Satan does is take something that's good and turns it bad. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation or are tempted by many foolish and harmful desires that plunges them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wondered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Now, what is the problem with the money? Is the love of money, right? Now, I want to I give you five things that uh, the problem is with the love of money. First one, love of money brings temptation. As we read in the scripture, right? It says, People who long to be rich fall into temptation. So when you love money, it can bring temptation to do wrong things in order to gain more. Whether it's uh, breaking the law, avoiding tax, not paying tax. Doing whatever you can to break the law to make more of it. Or being even unfaithful with, 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 with the services you provide. Number two, love of money traps you. Listen to the verse again. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. Love of money can trap you. love of money also can uh, inspire lust it, it, it says um, people who long to be rich fall into a temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. Number four love of money can ruin and even lead you to destruction and then number five it can even lead you from true faith let me just read the whole scripture uh, again the two verses but people who long to be rich fall into temptation that's number one and are trapped number two by many foolish and harmful desires number three and plunge them into ruin and destruction number four for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money, number five, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's what love of money can do. And uh, please don't get me wrong, money is good. We want to work, we, we all need to pay our bills, right? <laughs> we all need food to eat, right? Uh, money is good, but when you start craving money more money because you can never get enough once you start craving money you will never know when is enough and as a result you're just chasing it and becomes like a rat race now young people another temptation or distraction that the world likes to give us is alcohol sex and drugs you see and um, and and sadly a lot of people just fall into this trap let me just deal with the uh, the addictions first alcohol and drugs i want to tell you honestly you're not missing anything out if you have never been there you have never touched alcohol you never touched drugs you're not missing anything you're not you're not missing out on anything um is the worst thing you know sometimes you know young people think oh you know partying and having fun you know it starts with a little bit of having having fun you know when you drink when you get high and but then if you're not careful that can lead into a life of destruction because then it becomes a habit and then it can become an addiction and then you, you're just falling into this trap You see, around the time the Bible was written, alcohol was the most abused drug during that time. And there's loads of Bible verses that talks about getting drunk. Proverbs 20 verse 1, it says, Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drinking cannot be wise. And that's what alcohol does um i'm just thinking of uh, the story of um, Samson and delilah right um, now delilah um wanted to find samson's strength she wasn't interested in samson's weakness was she she wa- she wanted to know what is your strength what is what is making you so strong and 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 she did whatever she could to find. His strength, her only hope in conquering him was to deceive him in the area of his security. So she managed to persuade him, right? By, share, you know, by sharing this uh, strength. And, and because Samson literally played along with this idea of uh, enjoying this beautiful woman, right? He, he, he basically told her what, what his strength was. And that was his hair, right? And she cut it. And he lost his strength. Now, how can... Enemy still your strength. What is our strength? I want to tell you by, by getting you drunk or high and getting you to a place that you do things that you, you would never do. And as a result, what happens? You live a life of regrets. First Peter 5, verse 8. It says, stay alert. Now, how can you stay alert if you're high or drunk? Right? Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around luring, like a rolling lion looking for someone to devour. You cannot be aware of your enemy if you're high or you're drunk or you're you know, under influence. And that's why the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 and 8, So be on your guard. Now, you can't be on your guard if you're high or you're drunk or whatever, right? Not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Now, you can't be clear-headed if you're high or drunk, right? Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. How many know nighttime, that's when the the demons are out there, right? That's where all the fights break. That's where all the disaster happens. Is the nighttime when people get drunk and are out there doing crazy stuff. Verse 8 But let us who live in the light be clear headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Young people, I, I-, I promise you, that's something you never want to try. It's horrible. It's horrible. Alcohol drugs just lead you to do things that you never would do when you when you're sober and you're clear minded and you think it's fun you think it's joy but I' I'm, I'm promise you it leads you to a destruction leads you to a bad place now let me talk about this the other thing the sex <laughs> I know the culture is putting a lot of pressure on young people you know sex is normal it's okay you know and 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 and, and, and they they do put a lot of pressure on young people i mean why would you want to wait until you get married you know why i mean when the bible was written you know things were different and this and that i want to tell you something young people you know what's weird you know what's weird it's weird having sex before marriage you know why because god designed sex and he designed it with a purpose in mind and his purpose was when you get married. Marriage is the alternate destination. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. You know, sometimes people don't realize how significant, how you know important sex is i mean god designed sex there's nothing wrong with sex but it is in its own time what happens is people don't realize how it's just not it's just a physical thing it's emotional it's spiritual you know when you're having sex is the three things that are happening and a lot of times people don't realize that what they're doing is every time you're having sex and you leave that person, you're taking something from that person, and you go into the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship, and then it comes to marriage, and then you wonder why your marriage is not working out. because you're carrying all these baggages. And that's why God is saying, "You know what? You need to wait. So, I'm telling you, young people, what's weird is having sex before marriage. That's what's weird. Don't allow Satan to, uh, to distract you. You see, sometimes sadly, people know that it's wrong, but they still want to do it. You see, the pleasure that is involved in deception sometimes causes them to even continue. And, I, and that, that only leads to destruction. And listen to what it says in Romans 1, chapter 32. It says, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them with them. That's why you need to be very careful with the type of friends you hang out with. The people that you have in your, in your group. Because uh, if you got the wrong type of people, they will lead you to destruction. And once you allow self-deception in your heart, all of the sins become acceptable. And once the person turns away from God, the path downward will never, ever end. You're just going down, down, down. I want to tell you this morning... That fascination with worldliness invites a person away from godliness. That person becomes less and less involved with the work of God and is more and more involved with selfish pursuits. See, the psalmist really struggled with this area, right? See, worldliness seemed to offer so much immediate, satisfying rewards, right? Worldliness just... You know, shows you, you know, wealth and riches and power and glory and fame and all these different things. And his, his struggles really caused him to have this spirit of envy. In verses 12 and 14, he says, Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while the riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. You see, the devil loves to suggest the unfairness of God. Every time you get to a place when you think God is being unfair, know that the enemy is at work. God is never unfair. But the enemy wants you to feel that way. That's why... um, he 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 allows certain people to be so successful, and how many know the devil is really the god of this world? He controls this world, and and sometimes the fame and riches and all those things use he uses those things to kind of make those who follow God to feel like, oh my God, why are you being unfair? Well, he's not unfair. You see the. The devil loves to make sure that the person sees the so-called prosperity and happiness of the wicked. And it is a bait. And, and the psalmist faced a serious mental battle, right? He was like questioning himself. But what did he do? When he was depressed and he became uh, frustrated with what he was seeing, what did he do? He reached a point where he actually went to the sanctuary. So, if you're taking notes, point number two, he went to the place of victory. Where is the place of the victory? Is uh, the sanctuary, is the house of God, is the house of God. And there he began to understand the outcome of the wicked. When he realized, hold up, the only good reward for an evil. Is an ungodly person is those rewards that they're receiving this earth. That's all they get. But in the short span of life, there's a a, a, an eternity of misery follows after that. You see, visiting the house of God, visiting the sanctuary, worshiping God gives you a new perspective of life. In verse seventeen, said then I went. Into your sanctuary, oh God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. You see, it was in the sanctuary that the psalmist realized how important life is when you draw near to God. When you draw near to God, everything else is meaningless. You see, a sanctuary is a place of refuge. And that's why we want to be a place of refuge and restoration. That's when you come and get a new perspective of God. And you know what? The enemy wants to keep you away from the house of God. How do we know? Um, you know, when, when things are going wrong in your life and you've done something wrong, guilt comes in. And you feel guilty to come to the house of God. But that's exactly the time that you need to come to the house of God. How you know sometimes, you know, um, you're just frustrated and you're just like, oh, I just don't know, just don't, don't feel like going in. That's the time that you need to come. Sometimes life can be too good and people forget God. Whatever it is, I want to tell you, you don't want to stop coming into the house of God. Because Satan wants to keep you away from the church. You see, God's sanctuary is a holy place. It's a place where you receive a clear insight of the purposes of life. And the closer we get to God, the more of Him you see and the less of worldliness you see. Trust me, the devil tries to do everything he can to hinder Christians and even stop us from praying. From praying. You know, sometimes we just need to get on our knees and pray. Ephesians Ephesians 6 verse 18, it says, Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Again, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Not just for yourself, but for all believers everywhere. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to continue coming to a sanctuary. He wants you to continue worshiping him. He wants you to continue praying. Number three, God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for you. God knows how devastating effects that the world can have on you. And that's why he's calling us. You know, in John chapter 4, verse 4, it sounds a bit like harsh. You adulteress, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. It sounds harsh a little bit, doesn't it? I want to tell you, God knows exactly what's best for you he's not trying to stop you from having fun he's not trying to make life boring he knows the effects that worldliness can have on you and the reason why he's saying not to do certain things is because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to not hit your head against the wall he doesn't want you to lead into destruction You see, worldly minded people search for material wealth. They search for fame. They search for power over the life of the others. But you know what the kingdom of God does? The kingdom of God is not not about temporary things, it's about righteousness, it's about peace, it's about joy, it's about the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, these two worlds are completely apart from one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to, uh, you will learn to know God's will for your life. Which is what? Which is good. And is pleasing. And is perfect. So I say, don't copy the the behaviors of this world. I've got something much, much more better for you. I know what's best for you. I created you. I put a purpose and a plan into your life. Don't copy everyone else. Don't copy everyone else. I've got something good for you. I've got an amazing plan for you. And then Romans 8 verse 6 says, uh, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. And that's why we need to be careful. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Can I have the worship team back up please? How many wants more life and peace in their lives? Don't copy the behaviors of this world. Let God transform you into into a new person. You see, in summary, you know, victory can be sweet. Right? Victory is always sweet. I love to win. Regardless of what competition I play, I love to win. I do everything I can to win. Because victory is sweet. It never comes without struggle. It never comes without effort. If, uh, if someone wants to win in a race, they have to put a lot of time and practice into it, right? It doesn't come just naturally. You have to practice. You have to train. You have to do a lot of running. And then when you get to the race, you have a chance. The more you work, the, m- the more you-, you benefit. We must believe that God will reward those who diligently seek in Him. You see, victory over this world is achieved only by faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says this. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Through who? Through Christ who? Who loves us? He loves you. Jesus loves you. And he doesn't want anything bad for you. Young people... The Bible is not trying to stop you from having fun. The Bible is trying to help you enjoy life. Amen. You see, victory is part of our inheritance and our new identity in Christ Jesus. So don't ever, ever, ever get distracted. Don't Stay away from church. Don't stop worshiping him. Don't stop reading your word. Don't stop praying. Fight the good fight. And I want to promise you the final rewards are much, much higher than the world can ever, ever offer you. I promise you. Can we stand if you can? Yeah, Father. Father. We want to thank you. We want to thank you. We want to thank you that we can have victory. We want to thank you for the inheritance that you have given us. Father, we want to repent right now. We want to turn away. Turn ourselves away from those things that have brought hindrances in our lives to worship you to become intimate with you. Father, we want to repent right now. We want to to renew ourselves right now. Father, would would you just renew our mind right now? Would you just allow us to refocus? Refocus on your goodness in our lives. Father, sometimes we can be so forgetful We can be so forgetful. You are faithful. You are so, so faithful. We all have so many testimonies, but sometimes we forget. We forget the things that you have done in our lives. So, right now, Holy Spirit, I want to ask right now that you bring to remembrance every good thing that you have done in our lives. Remind us of all the past victories right now, Father. Father, we want to pray right now for help as well. It's not easy. The world is attractive. Help us. Help us with our worldly struggles. Help us, Father God. We need your help. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus. More and more like Jesus. Yeah, Father. Yes, Father. Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest phrase. Jingle Christ Christ alone you know what what I find amazing is sometimes people question God's love it's like why would God not show himself to us why would God not just do this and that why would God not just shout his love from heaven you know what for me what's best is what he did you know when he came down he left all his privileges and came on this earth and lived a life like us and he experienced what we are going through and 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 he knows exactly what i'm going through so he knows exactly how he can help me in my struggles and not only that he he died he paid the penalty that i deserved he did that for me instead of shouting his love from heaven he came here on this earth and i want to tell you god loves you and he has an amazing plans for your life but we have an enemy and that enemy wants to blind you he wants you not to see god's goodness and his mercy but i want to i want to I want to invite you if, you. if you are here this morning, and maybe you really never, ever accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. You see, because God loved you so much, He didn't want to create robots. He didn't want you to just create robots and say, I want you to worship me. No, He gave us choice. You can choose to worship Him, or you can choose to reject Him. And we know where rejection leads and we know what choosing to follow Him can lead us to. And I want to promise you, there's a place much, much better than this earthly life was only promised to those who accept Him as the Lord and Savior. And it's not through all sorts of faith. It's not just believing in God. No, is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. No other God, but Jesus Christ. So I want to give you that opportunity. If you are here in this place and you have never made that commitment, or if you're watching online and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that really simply. Is it is a prayer of faith that you can pray? But first you need to recognize that that we have all sinned, that we have all fallen short. We all have made mistakes. And we serve a, a gracious God. But He wants you to realize that you have made a mistake. And then He wants you to ask for forgiveness. And then when you ask for forgiveness, He wants you to invite Him into your heart. He wants you to say, you know what, come into my heart. And then when you open the door of your heart, here it comes. And then your new life begins. If you are here and you never prayed this prayer, you can pray this prayer right after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on that cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me a new life. Fill me with your spirit. Take control over my life. It is yours. Change me. Transform me make me the kind of person you want me to be in jesus precious name we pray amen and amen can we just celebrate you know every time someone says this prayer for the first time it says angels rejoice in heaven so there's a party going on in heaven and um you know we want to help you because it, it doesn't it doesn't you know this is just the first step you know it, it will just continue but well, we want to help you with that journey, right? So if you made that decision for the first time, please let us know because we want to help you with your next step. Uh, if you're online, there is a link in the comment section that you can click and, um, and, and you can fill in your details and we can contact you and help you with your next step. I want to thank you again for your time. And uh, yeah, God bless you. When he shall come